To all of our mothers, let me wish you a happy Mother's Day. You may be a biological mother, a pregnant first-time mother, a second or adoptive mother. I tried to make a list here of all the kinds of mothers. A grandmother, foster mother. These are people we have in our church. Or a spiritual mother. I think that covers it. So happy Mother's Day to all of you, but so that no one feels left out, happy Day of the Mother to all of you. And we are just so happy to be together. You know, it was Anna Jarvis who founded Mother's Day in 1908, and she had a vision that each individual would take time to honor their mother. She campaigned until 1914 when Woodrow Wilson officially established the second Sunday in May as Mother's Day. Immediately, Mother's Day was a huge success. It's not surprising. Who doesn't like gifts and appreciation? But as Mother's Day grew into a money-making machine, Anna Jarvis became frustrated with the materialism of it all. She even took out lawsuits on those who inappropriately used the name Mother's Day. However, none of her efforts were successful, and she ended her life penniless and in a sanatorium. And as you can see, the moral of this story is when it comes to Mother's Day, just accept it, don't fight it, and appreciate your mother. Anna Jarvis could no longer gather with people whose vision, mission, and values were so different than her own. She no longer experienced unity with those who contributed to this Mother's Day machine. As a result, her life became filled with disorder and disunity. And in a world so divided and diseased, diseased with disorder and disunity, where should we look for the antidote? Where should we look to find unity and life? Psalm 133 wishes to persuade us and encourage us that the blessings of unity in life are found among God and his people. So please, please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 133. And as we come to his word, let's pray once again. Father in heaven, we do ask that your word would do its work in our hearts. We pray that you would encourage us and exhort us that you would be glorified, and that we would experience the, experience the blessings of unity and life. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The title of this sermon is The Blessings of God on the People of God. And for those of you who wish to not only see the destination, but also the roadmap, let me provide uh, these comments about structure. In verse 1, God blesses his people with unity. In verses 2 and 3a, the blessing of unity is compared to precious oil and dew on the mountains. 
Finally, in 3b, God blesses his people with life. And so verse 1 connects with 3b, and there in the middle, verses 2 and 3a, those substantiate the author's claim in verse 1. So the title and overall emphasis is the blessings of God on the people of God, and there are two points to this sermon. First, that God blesses his people with unity, verses 1 through 3a. And point two, God blesses his people with life, 3b. So first, God blesses his people with unity. Verse 1, Behold, look, David calls our attention to something important. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity is not the question of a skeptic, as in, just how good? Or, is it really good and pleasant? No, instead, this is an emphatic declaration of the goodness and pleasantness of gathering with God's people. This emphasis suggests that David may be writing this psalm just after the tribes of Israel were united in allegiance to him. The word good here reminds the reader of God's creational intent to bless. God created the world, and what did he say? Good. He created humanity, and what did he say? Good. No disorder, no disunity until sin entered the world. Just good. How good and pleasant. This unified gathering of God's people is also pleasant because very simply unity is pleasant and disunity is not. So we might say that the opposite of this verse is true as well. How bad and unpleasant it will be when brothers do not dwell in unity. Pastor Moody recently reminded us that when it comes to the gathering of God's people, we don't create unity, we maintain it. And according to Ephesians 4, we walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. How do we do this exactly? We do this with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity and the spirit of the bond of peace. And this type of unity is good, and it's pleasant. It's delightful. Now, there's another word that he uses there, the word brothers, and this helps us to understand that unity is like family. The gathering of God's people is like family. But by using the, words, the word brothers, David is not limiting his scope to the biological family or to men only. Instead, this psalm has a broader scope that includes all of Israel. Psalm 132 says, Let us go to the dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. You know, one of the, uh, one of the dangers in speaking about the goodness and pleasantness of the gathering of God's people One of the dangers in speaking about God's people as a family is that we may fail to recognize that many people do not share this perspective. Many people in our world do not have such pleasant experiences. We sympathize with those who have had negative or traumatic experiences, whether in the family, heaven forbid, in the church, or in some other setting. 
But the disorder and the disunity of our world only serves to magnify the contrast between that on one hand and the beauty of this unified gathering of God's people on the other. And we want to be a church where anyone from any background could come and say how good and pleasant it is to be there with them, with those people who dwell in unity. That's the kind of church we want to be. And this is the kind of unity that Jesus prays for in John chapter 17. So first, God blesses his people with unity. Now in verse 2, the psalmist uses a simile. He's using this to support his idea that blessing, the blessing of unity is like precious oil. Look there at verse 2. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. Now, while I do appreciate the scriptural precedence for men in ministry having beards, I don't know if this is the best illustration to use when describing a college church worship service. If a friend asks you about your experience here and you say, you know, it was good, it was a, it was a good experience, you know what it was like, it was like somebody pouring oil on your head and it's like just flowing down on your face and it's all over your collar, they may not find your invitation compelling. The blessing of unity is like precious oil, but why is oil precious? Why does he use that image? Well, Exodus 30 reveals at least three reasons why oil was precious. And the first was because it was costly. Some of the finest spices, like myrrh, were used in this mixture. The second reason is because it was pleasantly aromatic. It says they used sweet-smelling cinnamon and aromatic cane. And the third reason why this this oil was precious was because it was distinct it was not a common oil and it was used for the special purpose of anointing exodus 30 25 says and you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil blended as by a perfumer it shall be a holy anointing oil and so you might be asking yourself what does the preciousness of, an, of oil, what does that have to do with the blessing of unity? That would be the appropriate question to ask. First, unity is precious, is like precious oil, because gathering together is costly. Now, we are going through these psalms, and these psalms are songs of ascent. If you've been here for several weeks, you know that. And so we have to consider the people who would have been hearing these. And, and we think about these pilgrims journeying on their way to Jerusalem. It, have, it may have taken days for some of them to reach their destination, which would preclude them from working in order to earn a, a living wage. They may also have needed to purchase items to sacrifice at the temple. And so it was costly to them took their time and effort and finances. 
And now when we compare our situation, well, well, we can clearly see that our situation is much easier in many, many ways. But for both ancient Israelites and us today, commitment to God and his people includes giving of our time and energy and financial resources. And still, even in some parts of the world, it may include giving of our lives. It's costly. Second, unity is meant to produce a pleasant aroma. Anyone walking through those doors or any doors of a church should easily pick up on the aroma of humility and gentleness, patience, and love. It should be part of the air that we breathe. We want to be a church where someone would say with the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we are the aroma of Christ to God. Among those who are being saved... And among those who are perishing, people should be able to breathe deeply and feel at home among the family of God. You know, sometimes smells, uh, they remind us of home. Something like this happened to me on my first date with my wife, Jennifer, actually. Upon arriving to her apartment, she welcomed me in, and then she rushed off to the kitchen So I was left standing there, but then immediately I began to smell something. And what I began to smell was the pleasant aroma of chocolate chip cookies. That's right. She pulled the old bake them some chocolate chip cookies on your first date trick, and it worked. So I walked over to the kitchen and I did what any respectable man would do. I asked her to marry me. (laughs) A godly, beautiful woman, chocolate chip cookies, let's get married. Why not? For the sake of transparency, the actual proposal came slightly later, give or take a year. Uh, Oil is costly. Oil is costly, it's aromatic, and it's distinct. After the golden age of King David's reign in 1010 BC, from 1010 BC to 970 BC, the people of God were almost constantly under subjection by foreign powers, by foreign overlords. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Romans, and yet they were still called to be distinct as are we. Unity is like precious oil because it's costly, it's aromatic, and it's distinct. And this pouring out of precious oil on the crown that runs down to the collar is meant in this text to remind us of how God pours out his blessings of unity down onto his people. The second simile that is used here in verse 3a compares the unity of God's people with dew on the mountains. Not to be confused with mountain dew. I just had to say that. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. What is the purpose of dew? What does dew actually do? According to the National Ecological Observatory Network, how can you argue with a name like that? Dew forms a protective barrier on the leaf. Transpiration will not occur until the dew evaporates. 
What this means is that a plant retains more moisture in its cells, making it more resilient in hot, dry conditions. Dew enables resiliency. At 9,200 feet, Mount Hermon was the highest peak in ancient Israel, situated on their northern border. Today, its summit straddles the border of Syria and Lebanon. And so what we are seeing here is a contrast between the mountain of Mount Hermon and the mountains of Zion, which were seven small hills centrally located in and around Jerusalem. One of those hills, also named Mount Zion, is the closest hill to the ancient temple. And so, imagine. You're singing this song. You're a pilgrim journeying on your way to the temple. And you're almost there. You make camp for the night. And then you wake up and it's early morning. And as you wake, the sun is rising over the hills specifically over Mount Zion. And it's been hot and dry, but today there is dew. And so you bless the Lord because he has blessed the earth. There's freshness in the air. You take a deep breath, and your spirits are lifted. You continue on your way to gather with the family of God for worship in the temple. This is the image here. This is what he's trying to impress upon us now another appropriate question though would be how is dew like a blessing hopefully we've seen how the oil is like blessing but how is dew like blessing well there's two reasons first because dew is purposeful it's refreshing it's energizing, it's enriching, enlivening, strengthening. It helps to build resiliency. And God's blessing of unity is meant to function like that. We are blessed with unity, which is meant to refresh and strengthen. It helps us to be resilient. It helps us to be a unified people of God That's why God blesses us with these things so that we can strengthen one another. Second, the blessing of unity is like dew because it's widespread. You don't have a patch of of, uh, dew here and a patch of dew there. You have dew everywhere when you have dew that falls. And so the connection is just as the dew falls on both the greatest and the smallest or, or uh, the smallest peak in Israel. Just as you have the dew falling all across Israel, so too will God gather his people from the greatest in the eyes of the world to the least so that he might pour out his blessings on them. That's the image that he's trying to to give us here. His blessings were not only for a specific group in Israel, but for all of Israel, from the highest to the lowest, and will ultimately be 
as he promised to Abraham for the whole world. So in verse 1, God blesses his people with unity. In verse 2, God blesses, in verse 2 through 3a, there is downward movement which demonstrates the blessing of unity that flows from God in heaven onto the gathered people of God. So point number two, God blesses his people with life. Now uh, look with me in 3b. It says, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. In verse 3b, I think the word for is functioning like the word indeed. It's meant to strengthen the statement. And so it might read, indeed, there the Lord has commanded, and so on. The word there seems to be functioning, seems to be referring to the united or unified gathering of God's people in verse 1. And since this, this gathering happens at Zion in, in this context, in the original context, these Jewish pilgrims, pilgrims may have understood verse 3 like, like this. The blessing of unity on the people of God is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Indeed, in the gathering of God's people in Jerusalem, the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Just as God has poured out his blessing of unity on the gathered people of God, so too God pours out his blessing of life, of nourishment, of favor, so that we all may grow and be fruitful in him. This is the blessing of life God pours out onto his people. Now, post-exilic pilgrims went to the temple to experience the blessings of unity and life. But what about us? Where, where do we go? Where do we tell people to go? to experience these blessings of unity and life. In John chapter 4, Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. No more earthly pilgrimages necessary. But the hour is coming and is now here, Jesus says, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So put very simply, Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 133. God blesses his people with unity, but anyone, but for anyone to experience true unity with God's people, they must be truly united with Jesus. And Jesus, our great high priest, was anointed with precious perfume in preparation for death. So this is how it connects to where we are today. It is the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that allows the blessings to flow from God in heaven 
down onto his people, on all people, from the greatest to the least. But these blessings were not meant for ethnic Israel alone. No, these blessings are meant to flow down from heaven through the house of Israel out to all nations, crossing every border, penetrating every culture and every context so that the promise of Abraham will be fulfilled, that all the families of the earth will be blessed in Jesus with unity and with eternal life, life forevermore. Psalm 133 wishes to persuade us and to encourage us that God blesses his people with unity and with life forevermore. And if this is the case, what should be our response? Let me offer two applications, the first of which is to embrace unity. Christian, embrace the positional unity that you have as a member of the family of God while seeking to maintain relational unity with others in the church. Do this by walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Do simple things like taking the initiative to greet someone you don't know and have a conversation with them. Do this every time you come to church And sooner than later, you will begin to feel a greater sense of unity. May we be a church where people experience a God-centered, Christ-honoring unity. Where people smell the sweet, smelling aroma of Jesus and say how good and pleasant it is to dwell with these people in unity. Second, invite others to Jesus and to experience the unified gathering of God's people. There are so many broken people in this world. There are so many people experiencing one type of disorder or disunity of some sort. There are so many broken marriages and estranged relationships with kids. And with coworkers, those inside and outside the church, all of us desperately need to experience both the blessing of unity with God and man and the blessing of life. And finally, seek to be an agent of reconciliation here in this community or perhaps in some other community around the world. As a Christian, you should be asking yourself, how can I be a blessing to those around me? And I look out now and think about how many of you have been such a blessing to me. We want to channel these blessings that God is pouring out upon us to those around us. How is God calling me to serve him, whether in this gospel-rich community or in a gospel-needy community around the world? Be open to his leading. Or perhaps you're here and you're not sure what it means to be united to Jesus and to his people. Maybe you want to know for sure that you have eternal life. Either way, I invite you to come and talk to me after the service is over or one of the other leaders. 
As God pours out his blessings of unity and life on the people of God, may you find encouragement as you look to God and gather with his people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for this time tonight. Lord, we thank you that we can come together and worship you. We can lift our voices to you in song. We thank you that you have given us your word in our language so that we can understand. We are thankful for the blessings of unity and the blessings of life, even eternal life. And so we rejoice together. We praise the name of Jesus and we do this as one people for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen.